0: Welcome back to The Legal Bit. If you're just tuning in, in this podcast series we uh, talk about video games and law, and what it's like to work in a video game legal field. Here you'll have the chance to get to know the community a bit more, who we are, what we do, and what the current hot topics of the industry are. And in our previous episode, we had the pleasure to talk with Gitano DeMida about himself and the conference on video games and interactive entertainment law called More Than Just a Game. Uh, so most likely when this episode will be released, uh, it's only after the event. So hopefully some of the listeners now had the time to attend, and if not, there's always the next time. And uh, there are more events coming up this year as well, so maybe you will have the time to drop in by then. And for this episode, we have a new guest who... I guess at the time of the publishment, uh, uh, this guy has already uh, spoken during the More Than Just a Game conference, and we'll talk about more about what you guys missed out on. But I guess first, um, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Sure, uh, my name is John Festinger. Uh, QC, which uh, means Queen's Council, Um, for those of you who are outside the Commonwealth. Uh, And I am uh, from where I live in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Uh, born in uh, Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Um, I uh, practice law in Vancouver, uh, and I also do a lot of teaching Um, uh, out of uh, the Center for Digital Media, which is part of uh, a couple of universities, actually. Um, And I have taught law at the University of British Columbia's law school, uh, which is called the Allard School of Law, for uh, over 25 years, uh, probably with a couple of years off in there. Um, And I wrote a book in 2005 called Video Game Law, which was the Mm -hmm. first, uh, I think, text of its kind. And at that time, uh, I started a course uh, in video game law uh, at UBC and actually University of Victoria Law School since spread to other law schools as well Mm -hmm. um uh which i'm still teaching Mm -hmm. uh in the fall semester every year so (laughs) in september we'll be going into something like our 12th cohort of the course
0: yeah well thank you so much for your time and coming over i really appreciate it um and uh i guess we could start off with the basics if you want to tell more about i mean you already told someone about yourself but like um yeah you're
1: legal background i guess well uh, i i'm happy to give my legal background i'll try and interlace it with uh video game related yeah, stuff sure <laughs> so uh since that's what we're talking about um i uh i'm old uh so uh i my first connection to video games was the original arcade game of pong Mm. when i was in high school in montreal right and uh I, i would play it in the local bowling alley um and uh i thought that i was very good at it now pong Had certain limitations, so it was it was hard to be really good at it. I feel like Uh, there's like
0: only kind of like one mechanic. Yeah, Yeah. there
1: there weren't a lot of mechanics you had to master, (laughs) Um, and uh, and I think for good reason there was never a world champion of Mm -hmm. pong. Uh, I also liked arcades and pinball. I mean, you know, many of us sort of get into games uh, a, a similar way. Um, and uh, I was, uh, I was very fortunate uh, here uh, in the UK. Um, uh, a common law degree is an undergrad degree. Yeah. Um, in Canada, uh, an LLB, as it was then known, was in fact a graduate degree, and most um, most law students in Canada and the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, do so after an undergrad degree in something right, else. Yeah. Uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, totally unique circumstances that had to do with the province of Quebec Mm. and the law school that I attended um, McGill I was admitted early so I actually did law as an undergrad degree I'm really one of the very few Mm. uh, at McGill Um, so that uh, they accepted kind of three to four or five anglophones every year um, you know at that age at 18 or 19 into law school so that was a bit of a strange experience but I was pretty well a normal 18 year old when I got into law school so I would go to uh, downtown Street in Montreal called st Catherine Street and play um, uh, you know pinball and and arcade games at the various uh, arcades that were on st. Catherine Street and um, I didn't know this until much later, um, but there was a bylaw that came in probably when I was in third year law school mm. um, that said uh, that separated uh, the arcades into children's sections and adult sections. Right. It was a municipal bylaw. Yeah. And uh, the fight over that went all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. And it was in the arcade. It was about the arcade that I actually used to frequent. Yeah, right. So I didn't discover that that after the fact that I personally was the arcade I went to was the subject of a Supreme Court of Canada (gasps) case, which for many years, which was, I believe, a 1979 case, which for many years was really the only Supreme Court of Canada case Mm. and one of the few Canadian cases that had anything to do with video games. Mm. But that's not... um, I think what what really um, triggered the legal uh, area for me. What, okay. what triggered it was in law school. Um, I became quite devoted um, to a um, uh, a video game arcade system that you connected to your television. Mm. Um, called The Intellivision by Mattel. And it was a really cool um, uh, uh, game box, and I really, really liked it. And then suddenly, um, while I was still in law school, um, The Intellivision, and Mattel is a huge toy company, uh, certainly in North America, The Intellivision completely disappeared It was basically pulled from the shelves, and suddenly there were no more games, and I was very invested into the system, and I was very happy with the system. And what had happened was that another video game company had sued Mm. and won Mm. over breach of a patent, and it's rather Mm. a famous video game case that I won't get into yeah, okay. and I still think it's wrongly decided um, but and I teach it as wrongly decided mm-hmm. not just because it grossly made me un- it made me grossly unhappy in law school although that was part of it um, uh, I also don't understand why the gold medalist in, in our law school played uh, the Intellivision with me just as much as I played and he still got to be the gold medalist and I did so badly in law schools so, so uh, there must be a reason because he played just as much all
0: right
1: so um after law school at mcgill uh i i actually went to british columbia um thinking that i was following where the good skiing was and Mm. indeed i was um uh to, to some degree and um loved vancouver Um, And fell in um, because of the firm that I articled to and became an associate with, um, I actually fell into media law. Um, just because of who their clients were, uh, which I didn't know even when I was applying for the job. So um, bear that in mind, uh, law students. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's not really what you know. It's kind of what you make of where, wherever you get to. Uh, it's, it's a winding road, and you can get anywhere from here. Um, and it turned out that the firm I chose um, uh, acted for uh, a family uh, that owned the Vancouver Canucks hockey team, which is the professional NHL team in Vancouver, uh, which is a rather a big deal there. Um, uh, I realize the NHL is not quite as huge everywhere else. Um, but for Canadians, it's big and owned a number of televisions and radio stations throughout Canada. Um, and I just became uh, i was interested in freedom of expression became a newsroom lawyer eventually became a broadcasting regulatory lawyer did a little bit of sports law work but that'll figure later in the narrative um uh started doing corporate work in broadcasting and communications um became partner in my firm but then a few years later was asked to join the head office of the of this client um and the firm wanted me to do it Uh, it, it, it wasn't an act of betrayal of the firm the firm wanted me to do it because um it's a good way of securing the client and i uh and i became general counsel of uh what For a while, we built into the largest broadcasting company in Canada, um, and, it, and it had a lot of radio and television. And, um, and I stayed there until 1997, and then went uh, um, to uh, something called the CTV Television Network, which is the biggest TV network in Canada. Um, And left law briefly for three years um, to be a senior vice president of the company and actually do a startup television station for them, which was really cool Um, and a lot of fun. Uh, And one thing I noticed um, in that period when I when I started um, having a lot to do with broadcasting in say 1981, 82, um, even then, television was still ascendant, and a lot of very talented kids were choosing between television and radio. Mm. Radio kind of was the medium for a long time. People didn't realize, don't necessarily realize that. And television was, though very popular, uh, not necessarily seen as where you wanted to go. And then kind of by the 80s and 90s, television was, if you were a young journalism student or just you know, a very talented student coming out of university, television was probably where you wanted to be much more so than radio. And I had seen that change. But then around 2000... I noticed that some of the most... Um, and I started teaching at UBC Law in the law school in 1993. Mm. So just to give you a sense that even then, I had lots of connections to students, so I was yeah, seeing sure. where people were going. And I noticed that around two, by 2000, um, and I decided I'd been teaching at the law school for a while... Um, and I decided, uh, hey, I want to teach a, a course in, in video game law. I was teaching broadcasting communications and media law and mm. those kinds of subjects. And I went to the law school and said, hey, can I teach a course in video game law? Yeah. And they said, No. What's that? That yeah, doesn't yeah. really... It's the only time they've ever said no or sort of laughed me out of the room. Not impolitely, because, uh, because legal academics are, are, are polite to a fault, but it was clear there was no real interest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, a friend, colleague, more, more than friend, but a good colleague, um, happened to be in Vancouver, and he was putting together a series that he, he was a long-time... Um, he, 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 too, was a professor and a practitioner. Um, and he had published one or two books, and he was putting together a series of, of books on digital media. And I told him about what happened with the law school and in and, 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 and a course on video game law. And he said, well, would you write a book on it and, for the series? And I said, sure. And then I wrote the book, and as I was writing the book, and it was going to be published by LexisNexis, um, uh, and I went, when I went back to the law school and said, do you want a course? Well, if everything changes when you have a book. Uh, and they said yes. And, and uh, I have to say the law school at UBC has been incredibly supportive um, of uh, of everything to do with video game law and my other courses and my various experiments in pedagogy, so that's how I got into video game law. Yeah. And you know, there's there's lots of other stories I can tell, but that, it, that I sounds think like is a big journey, though. that yeah. that's the that's really the core of it. Mm. It was almost just like following the smart students. Mm following where they were going yeah. and it interested me because I had loved video games yeah, for yeah, a long yeah. time
0: and that's great I, I feel like also like there's such few universities right now that actually teach specifically like video game law and I feel like especially with like with the size of the industry I feel like there should be Still like more like specific focus on it and emphasis on it as well. Yeah, but
1: you know, it's growing and 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 that's part of you know, that's part of having more than just a game. Yeah. Um you know, when I wrote the book, there really was nothing and no courses, right? The first course was in two thousand and five at UBC. Yeah. Um and one of the things I wrote in the introduction to the book, and this kind of ties into more than just a game, is I wrote that The reason I wanted to do the book was actually to spur on academic research Mm. and to get the area seen as an area. Yeah,
0: definitely.
1: You know, and not just some combination of intellectual property law contract law mm. uh, and freedom of expression law yeah you know which all play their roles as you know mm. uh in video game law but to look at it as an area that uh that that is e- that has its own integrity just like internet law in parallel was developing its own integrity as a course yeah um and I, you know, what I really—I I didn't see myself as an academic per se. Uh, some, you know, depending on the day, I still don't. Um, but uh, what I did want is to is to really spur people on, mm-hmm. and, um, and and I, I think. You know what we've seen, and you're right. There aren't a lot of courses, but look at where the courses are: mm. Stanford Law School, Georgetown Law School, uh, the Allard School of Law, at UBC, Queen Mary. Mm. Um, you know, and there are some scattered, some scatterings in other in in other American law schools uh, that may not have quite that status. Mm. But um, I think we've seen a quantum shift. Yeah. We have a journal that. Gaitano and I edit and and it's a it's a peer review journal on interactive entertainment law. And more than just a game, which is essentially an academic conference with industry input, uh, has been, you know, we're we're about uh, to have the fur the fifth version of that. And there are spin-off versions as well, but the fifth main one in London. Yeah. So uh i'd say that we're growing and growing pretty rapidly
0: i guess in your perspective you're able to see that evolution i, I feel like in my perspective since i i mean i just yeah. finished my bachelor's as well and uh or, or only last year and so in my perspective it's just it seems like a whole new thing for me and compared to like any other major that like this is something so niche and it took me like quite a bit of effort to figure out to, like, put law and games together.
1: Yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I understand uh, why it feels niche. Yeah. But I'll, I'll tell you, when you really look at it, mm. Um and this isn't just true now. This has been true for a long time, right, right from the beginning, mm. when I started the first time I started having units in my media and entertainment law course mm. on video games, which was probably like two thousand., yeah. um, you know, probably had two weeks dedicated to it. Um, it was very noticeable mm. that because video games had had, a actual working business model associated with it like people paid for video games yeah. in 2000 right and in the 90s yeah. um and 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 yes there had been some ups and downs but people you know were paying real money to play games and they were enjoying them mm. um, and that was such a stark contrast to the internet as it then was. Yeah, yeah. You know, Web 1.0 and 1.5, nobody was making money on, uh, although there were, you know, there was, uh, it was a little bit like Bitcoin today. Yeah. There was, you know, giant speculation, Mm -hmm. and I remember articles in Wired Magazine Mm -hmm. about why you didn't need a business plan. Yeah. Huh? What? Um, But video games had always had a business plan. Mm -hmm. People invested in it, so that there were two benefits of one was there was enough money to fight over, mm. so that you actually had a few lawsuits going, yeah. and you had, you know, you had the corpus even in two thousand and five of more than enough cases to actually write a, a uh, you know, somewhat academic book about. Mm. Um, the, the other key part is that video games. Um, because they certainly the profitable ones were iterative and they were always trying to incorporate new features Mm. and new things and what were those features those features were things like voice over ip right Mm. we were playing doom basically over skype before there was skype right yeah. Right. you know yeah, we, 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 we were talking to each other uh, we had communities mm-hmm. before there was Facebook mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know things like leaderboards things you know things that we now take for granted in the social media world yeah, I, I'd true. say social media was actually invented yeah. in a game context fandoms The first fandoms, real the the first online fandoms and deep ones were about video games. It's not like we've backed off of that. Mm. You know, we're still way ahead on fandoms and and sometimes they're even a little too rabid. We see that as well. Um, But video games, uh, controllers, um, you know, all these things that we now see uh, the digital media world is dealing with, video games mostly dealt with five to ten years ahead of anybody else Mm. and that's because there was always you know, I I think innovation is an overused word Mm. but not when it comes to video games You know, open worlds, um, uh, you know, giant servers with Mm. with thousands or hundreds of thousands of people on them. Um, All that stuff that we take for granted now was really pioneered in video games. Mm.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's not emphasized enough, and that's a new perspective for me. But it's really, I really like it. Like the this, it's a refreshing way to look at it for me in yeah. my perspective. So that, I feel like it's also the,
1: that's the, my first class at, yeah. at, at <laughs> Allard. Um But but there but there's lots of I'm not alone in the wilderness in this. There, there there are some other people who spoke have spoken about it much more articulate articulately than I. Um, but uh, I, I I think it is important that to to at least acknowledge that part of the reason we're so obsessed with video games mm. is because um, they work, they're fun yeah. um, and you know part of uh, part of the challenge uh, in this area is you know wrestling with The kind of dynamics that are going on in in the industry, in the freemium industry, Mm. in in areas like loot boxes, where uh, in 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 areas like addiction, Mm. um, where the joy of video games disappears,
0: Mm.
1: it's not about fun.
0: And you kind of lose that. Yeah, it's it's
1: about compelling action, And, and 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 you know, fortunately or or not. Um, uh, there are laws that uh, that circumscribe behaviors in this Mm -hmm. way and Gaetano and I one of the things we're going to be doing in the conferences is is talking about loot boxes Mm. and the rather severe legal problems that were largely unacknowledged by the industry uh, until it was too late, mm. um, I mean, the industry got its ass kicked on, on loot boxes. Yeah, sure. Um, in, and, and to its own embarrassment, mm. um, and to the point where I don't think government takes video game companies as seriously as they did before. Um, they weren't very strategic. They weren't very thoughtful. Uh, they probably could have won the battle had they spent some time actually thinking about the issue. Uh, but they just kind of waded in uh almost like they were in call of duty <laughs> and <laughs> kind of kind of lost
0: yeah also i we're sort of running out of time now, but is there anything that you want to mention about the more than just a game conference any like any highlights of it or anything
1: well i, I you know i I think um a couple of things I want, I want to mention about okay. the conference. First of all, all credit to Gaetano, who works incredibly hard for it. Mm. Uh, but, you know, all of the videos from all of the conferences past to the second, down to the second year, I don't know, but the first year I don't think was videoed. They're all there. Mm. And if anybody wants to take a crash course in video game law, um, you know that's one of the ways of doing it it's all on the website and another way to do it is I lecture capture all my lectures for video game law at the Allard School of Law so you can go to and just easily look up John Festinger video game law on Google and it'll take you to that uh, uh, website and it's an open website and all my classes are there if anybody's interested Great,
0: yeah and all nice the
1: materials teacher. and the syllabus and uh, all, all the materials I make my students read mm. are all posted in the syllabus, so they're all open sources. I'll definitely so,
0: try to find as well, and if I do, then I'll put the <laughs> links and stuff. Yeah, if you put, it's not going
1: to be hard to find, yeah. that I promise Great. you.
0: Yeah okay i think we have to cut it from here but it was so great to like hear all the perspectives. is that what you here. wanted yeah no definitely <laughs> okay, no, thank good. you so much for your time i really appreciate right. like, you sharing your story and the evolution of everything and, and
1: yeah. my pleasure and good luck with the podcast i hope you keep it going because <laughs> that too is really a big contribution to all of this
0: yeah i'm glad yeah uh, but I guess as a final note to all the listeners out there again If you missed out on the more than just a game event that was held in London No worries that there are a lot more coming up and I will put the link to the comf- of the conference on the description Wherever you're listening to this. Hopefully you find the description and if you are interested in video games or any uh, policy regulation and legal issues behind them, especially as a player or a developer or legal student, especially please drop by Also, if you know others who are interested in topics like these, don't hesitate to share the podcast with other people as well. And until next time, uh, bye!